the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise, designed to explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within our communities and beyond. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it. Now, here's your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover of God, Kaz Taylor. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Come Together San Diego. Kaz Taylor here, and I've had this guest. I call him a guest, but he's really a co-host on this show. But I've had him on a number of times, not only in my broadcast experience here at Salem Media uh, Group San Diego, but in other venues as well. And he's always proven to be a very knowledgeable guy, but a real heartfelt guy as well. Bill Federer, American Minute broadcaster. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a Bible historian. He's a teacher. And you know, this program is going to be broadcast during the Passover time frame, and I said, who can I bring on that can give some insights, some insights that perhaps other people have not even considered about this most reverent time of year in the Bible? In, in the Bible, we talk about the month of Nisan, N-I-S, or N-I-S-S, uh, and Nisan, which is the first month of the Hebrew calendar, and this is the month wherein Pesach, or Passover, happens, and I said, Bill is going to know some stuff that other people need to know about. And so guess who I have on the show for this entire two hours? His name is Bill Federer, and I'm calling this show Bill Federer Unfettered. <laughs> Hello, Bill. Well, great to be with you, Kaz. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. As you, as you can tell just from my introduction, you're highly esteemed. What, what I would love to do oh, if you— I can, Well, what I would love to do— I, if, I can live up to it. <laughs> yeah, you will, and, and more. What I'd like to do to start out, a lot of the people that are listening to this show really don't know the who, why, what, where, when, and how of Bill Federer, but I've known you in several different environments. Um, uh, the American Minute, you broadcast that all over the United States, and um, I mean, you, you know stuff about the history of the United States and the history of the world and <laughs> the history of the Bible. You put them together, and you're quite a combo. So why don't you give me a little bit of o- overview for our listeners to tell a little bit about you, then we're going to really hit some high points and even low points about uh, this season that we're in. Uh, some people call it Easter. I prefer calling it Resurrection Sunday, and Bill might even get into the reason for my apprehension of calling it Easter a little bit later on. But also, uh, this month and this season in God's uh, timetable is vital as well. Bill, give us the uh, Bill Federer overview, please. Right. Well, I wrote my first book back in 1994. It came off the press uh, called America's God and Country Encyclopedia Quotations. And it did well. It sold over half a million copies. And that opened the door for me to do about 25 books over the last <laughs> 25, 30 years. <laughs> 25 books. Do a, a, a little daily radio feature called American Minute. And then I do a half-hour TV show called Faith in History. It airs on the TCT network, uh, Direct TV, and but uh, 
the topic that you're wanting to talk about today is fascinating, and I think the, the listeners will enjoy some of the things that we're going to share. Yes, yes, yes. And as you look back on the calendar of this time frame, and I know you, you like to dig into what we would call the Tanakh. Uh, you like to dig into the Torah. You like to dig into, like to dig into all, all things Old Testament, New Testament, and also historical that are outside of the Bible canon. And what you put together is mind-boggling. And I would say, and would you agree with me, that this time frame of um, what we would call Passover or Pesach, as they would say in Israel, is vital and vitally important, not only to Hebrew faith, but also to Christian faith? Yeah, uh, I like to start with the 30,000-foot view and <laughs> examine all of world history. So uh, well, I spent a couple of years researching every civilization that has ever existed on planet Earth. It, it was quite uh, an undertaking. Uh, but it went back to the beginning of the invention of writing. So writing was invented around 3300 B.C., Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. Today, that's Iraq. And they have about 1,500 of these cuneiform characters. It was just for kings and scribes. And uh, the most common form of government is a king. Uh, And so you have Cain killing Abel and Nimrod wanting to dominate the the people in his city of Babylon. He made them bake bricks. The Jewish commentator Josephus said Nimrod wanted to build his tower so high that if God destroyed the world again with a flood, he could survive on top. So it had this defiant in-your-face attitude. Uh, God comes down, confuses the languages, and the people scatter. But it's almost like every generation since has tried to rebuild the Tower of Babel. And each time it comes around, it's a little bit worse, because with the new military advancements, the dictator can kill more people. So instead of killing with a rock, they would kill with a bronze weapon or an iron weapon or a big, long phalanx spear that Alexander the Great's army had or scimitar swords that the Muslims had or gunpowder that the Chinese invented. Uh, the, the weapon changes, but it's that same fall in nature of Cain, Kill, and Abel. It's just magnified. Clearly, there is a global goal in mind. And if it wasn't for death, any one of these dictators, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, Julius Caesar, they would have been happy to have the world under oh my. their thumb. Can I ask you a question here, Bill? So, would you say that yeah. that spirit uh, of uh, usurping God and godliness that you talked about with uh, Cain killing Abel and so forth is alive today, and even uh, uh, remnants of or illustrations of the Nimrod mentality, would you say that that's still alive and functional today? Yeah, yeah, it is uh, one of these, I tell people history is not prophetic, but it is predictive. Oh, my. So past behavior is the best indicator of future performance. So one of the, the first invention ever was the plow. Cain was a tiller of the soil. Then people started hitting each other with them. They turned into weapons. And then people gravitated together for protection. And so this is the, one of the original phenomenons. When people feel scared, they're willing to give up their independence. And so they would gravitate together for protection. And when you get people together, someone's a little better at knowing how to fight than the rest. And everyone says, you be our captain. And you fight, you win. That's a good thing. And then this captain has kids and grandkids who claim to be a special family, an elite class, a ruling political machine, mob, boss, gang. Before you know it, you got a king. Oh, my. And yes. Everyone a king or a dictator, I guess you would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so if you're his friend, 
uh, you're more equal. If you're not his friend, you're less equal. And if you're his enemy, he's going to be wanting to use his power to chase you out of town, ostracize you, or kill you. Yes. And um, so this uh, would, as the centuries go on, these kings get bigger. Every now and then you get a good king, and he wants to concentrate power so he can do good more efficiently. But then he passes it on to some son or grandson who wants to use that power oppressively. And that's what we have in Egypt. My, my, my. Joseph is good, and he helps concentrate power into the hands of the Pharaoh. And what did that Pharaoh do with the concentrated power? He fed the children of Israel, gave them the best land in Goshen, gave them jobs taking care of his cattle. It was good. But then there was a new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, and he used all that concentrated power to oppress the children of Israel, even making them throw their sons in the Nile River. Oh, my, my. So that's the dilemma. Yes, Bill, we've got about a minute and a half left in this segment, so I'm going to pause you for just a moment and tell my listening friends that the Scripture talks about in in, um, uh, Ecclesiastes, that which was, is, and that which is, shall be, and there's nothing new under the sun. What Bill is describing to you is a, a character of human nature, especially human nature that does not have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, intertwined with it. So I'm going to be encouraging Bill throughout this two-hour period of time to share those insights as he talks about this month of Nisan, this time frame of Pesach, or uh, what we would call the Resurrection Sunday from a Christian point of view. And we're going to talk about those things. But all these things, (laughs) can't you just see, we're going to be blending those together because that which happened back in the days where Bill is talking about now, he's going to progress and take us through these time frames, and you're going to be amazed because we have, have I mentioned we have this guy named Bill Federer, unfettered? (laughs) So, Bill, I'll tell you what, we're going to talk more about this when uh, uh, you and I continue, and ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bill Federer and I will be right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise. Well, my friends, I am back with Bill Federer, the American Minute broadcaster, author, speaker, Bible historian, teacher, so many things. And he's very beloved in, in, in many areas of Christendom because people call on him uh, who want to know more about certain things in history. Bill, I'm so honored to have you and back for this second of uh, eight segments. And my friends, the first segment, Bill spent some time setting the stage for way back at uh, uh, Cain and Abel and Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and things like that, and the whole progress of how history it does not uh, go away. It just repeats itself. And so I'm going to have you continue your story in that light. Bill Federer. Well, thank you, Kaz. So what we're doing is giving the broad 30,000-foot view. Yes. And the most common form of government in all the world history is kings, and they go by different names, Pharaoh's user, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar. As the, as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger. Um, but um, at around, you know, 2000. B.C., Egypt was the biggest kingdom in the world, and they uh, had the, uh, the Pharaoh. And it's interesting, all of these ancient cultures, when you trace how they started, uh, they, people groups gravitated from 
uh, hunter-gatherers to agriculture. So hunter-gatherers, you know, you have Adam and Eve were gathering fruit off the tree. Yes. But then it says Cain was a tiller of the soil. So they go from gathering to agriculture. Well, once people groups, and these original ones, transitioned to agriculture, they needed to know when to plant the crops, which means they had to keep track of the seasons, which means they had to keep track of the stars. And so they would build immovable objects, Stonehenge, ziggurats, pyramids, to observe the stars. And then somebody got to climb up this ziggurat or this pyramid and look at the stars and see when the seasons are about to change and come down with this secret knowledge from heaven as to when to plant the barley or the oats, mm-hmm. right? And this turned into this person claiming to be a intermediary between the heavens and the people. And this eventually, um, you had the Egyptian pharaohs claimed to be the son, the, the son of the god Osiris. And the um, uh, Assyrian Babylonian kings were king's priests. The Indian maharajas were a semi-divine caste of rulers. The Chinese emperors claimed to be um, uh, ruling because they had a mandate from heaven to rule. And um, the Roman emperors claimed to be divine. And then you had uh, even the Inca Empire, and they um, had the uh, the Incan Empire. They had leaders that claimed to be delegates of the sun god. Yes. Um, now, they, they all... may I intercede here, my friends? Pay close attention to every word that Bill's saying. Things like sun god and uh, rulers over rulers and things like that. Because what goes around comes around, and you're going to begin to see some common denominators in what's going on in the earth today. And you're going to see uh, God's intention of, uh, uh, of resurrection life and God's intervention all the way throughout as Bill continues his history lesson. Thank you, Bill. Go ahead and continue. Right. So... Uh, it was this, and then eventually they Christianized it in Europe and called it the, the divine right of kings. And the king claimed to be a divinely appointed intermediary between the heavens and the people. Uh, this is the norm, and kings, bottom line, rule through fear. You do what they say, or they kill you. Uh, why is this interesting? Well, when Jesus had the devil tempt him, the devil offered him what? All the kingdoms of the world. Yes. And said, bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you, for they have been given unto me, and I give them to whoever I want. It's like, whoa, when did, who gave them to the devil? Well, when Adam in, sinned in the garden. Uh, Adam was in charge of the garden. We know that because he named everything. Naming means you have authority over. And uh, But the Bible says, to whomever you yield your members' servants to obey, to him you are a servant. And so when... Um, Adam obeyed Satan, he was posturing himself as the obedient one, the servant, and Satan as the one being in charge. And so from that moment on, the moment Adam obeyed Satan, from that moment on, the devil was the god of this cosmos, the god of this world system, and these kingdoms are all ruled through fear. They're all top down. And um, so now we come to ancient Israel. When Israel comes out of Egypt— for 400 years, they did not have a king. And every single person was taught the law. And the law said there's no respect of, person, respect of persons with God. So the kings didn't believe everyone was created equal. 
they believed they were created a little extra special. <laughs> yes. uh, but God has no respect of persons. So um, it, let's examine uh, the uniqueness of ancient Israel when they came out of Egypt. Um, uh, they were the first nation uh, uh, where, again, there was no king. Uh, they were the first nation that could read. So in Egypt, they had 3,000 hieroglyphs, and they were just for the pharaohs and the scribes. Writing started as an accounting method for kings to keep track of everything they owned. And they would have these little accountants count and add it all up. And so in um, China, they began counting with knots and ropes. And then in Sumeria, they counted with rods and beads. Right, The abacus, you'd slide the little beads Mm -hmm. back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into tokens and dishes, and then it turned into markings on the tokens. And if you've ever done tallying, where you draw the lines, one, two, three, four, then a line across mm-hmm. for five, that was the beginning of writing. And it was just for kings to keep track of everything they owned, then the king's decrees, then the king's genealogies, and some astronomy, astrology type stuff. But it was just for kings. Uh, Egypt had 3,000 hieroglyphs, and it was just for the pharaohs and their scribes. Only 1% of Egypt could read. And China had 10,000 characters uh, my, developed my. under the Yellow Emperor in 2600 B.C. on bamboo animal books. So in Egypt, they wrote on papyrus, but in uh, China, they wrote on bamboo, little strips. Um, so uh, when Moses comes down the mountain, he does not just have the law. He has the law in a simple 22-character alphabet, not... 1,500 cuneiform characters, not 3,000 hieroglyphic characters, not 10,000 Chinese characters, just 22 simple characters. It was so easy to learn, kids could learn to read. So Israel was the first nation with a literate populace. Yes. And then we see ancient Israel was the first nation with uh, equality, that everyone was equal, male, female, made in the image of the Creator. Even the stranger living amongst you is under the same law that you're under. Yes. Uh, Israel had this concept of tolerance. I like it. That your worship to God is only pleasing to God if it's voluntarily given. So yes. they weren't like Nebuchadnezzar who said, when I blow my trumpet, you bottom my statue. It's like, no, if you're a stranger, like you're living among us, you can convert and become a Jew, but we're not going to force you yes. to become a Jew or a Hebrew. And um, Israel was the first nation with private land ownership. Yes. Bill, Bill I need were, to, can, I, can we, I intervene for just a second here? We've got about a minute and a half left in this segment. I would like to uh, kind of summarize what you said and then hand the baton back to you if you'd be so kind. My listening friend, do you remember what uh, Bill said just a moment ago about the, uh, the initial interaction was that Adam uh, relinquished his authority to Satan, and then it became, you know, this, uh, uh, this ruler or this pharaoh or whoever this figure was, and he identified himself as one as the godly, godlike character to usurp uh, the, the the servants uh, and and have them acquiesce to him. So this this imbalance of somebody pretending to be God and demanding things of kids that's pretty much uh, happened early on when uh, Adam relinquished his authority to Satan, and God has had intentions from the very beginning to give us a different ruling a different uh, intimate relationship, not with the rulers of this earth, but with him. And he incorporated into his strategy a group of people called the Hebrews. And Moses led 
the Hebrews out of Egypt in this this uh, hierarchy of the Pharaoh and king leaders of leaders and gods so so as as such, and brought them into an environment where they were to embrace the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses were uh, given the Ten Commandments, but before, even before that, as, as they're coming out of Egypt, God began instructing them about his intimate relationship with them, which brings us to the first Passover period of time is where I, I want Bill to, to uh, kind of go with this. Could you just spend a moment or two bringing it back to the first Passover time, and then we're going to build from there, if you would be so kind, Bill Federer? Right. So um, I was. Uh, there's about a dozen different things to show how unique Israel is. It basically is a bottom-up form of government where God has a relationship with each person, and all the people together are in charge of their life, but they're in charge of the country, whereas the world system is all top-down. And so God was separating his people from uh, Egypt. Um, now, the uh, ten plagues, uh, they're called ten miracles from the uh, the Hebrew point of view, but they're yes. the, the ten plagues from the Egyptian point of view. Yeah, and can we can uh, we use that as a launching pad in, as to begin the next segment? Because we're out of time on this segment. So we're going to begin the next segment talking about the uh, plagues in Egypt and what that meant and means to us today. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the uh, uh, the Passover period of time, which is uh, on the calendar even now, when Bill Federer and Kaz come right back. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Don't just listen to it, be a part of it at 866-577-2473. You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Hello, San Diego. This is Rick Sines from uh, Red Seal Ministries. I just bless you and ask you just to receive the love of the Lord at this time, uh, this open season we have in San Diego. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise with Kaz Taylor. Well, I'm back, my friends, with the man named Bill Federer, the American Minute, um, a man who uh, knows history, but he knows more than history. He knows biblical history. He knows people, and he has an intimate relationship with his Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as well. Bill Federer, you kind of left us hanging there. You introduced the ten plagues uh, from Egypt and uh, the Hebrews coming out or being involved in that. I'm going to hand the baton back to you as we talk a, bit, a little bit more about the backstaging of things that are happening to set us up for the Passover or Pesach. Feast and Festival, which we are involved with even now. Bill Federer. So Egypt, for really about 2,000 years, was the most powerful kingdom on planet Earth, uh, and they had the latest military advancements. They were iron chariot wheels with just uh, the the four spokes. So you went from you know a big wooden block wheel to an iron wheel with lots of spokes, and then it gets, these could go very fast. And then they had very sharp swords, and the Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he wouldn't let the children of Israel go. And so this was God. The ten plagues is basically judging the gods of Egypt. And so if you looked at a map, um, Egypt was pretty barren. 
back then they may have had more trees, but it was still barren. The Nile River is where all the life was. And they would take water from the Nile River to irrigate their fields and their rice paddies and so forth. And so the first plague is where Moses has the um, puts the rod in the water and the water turns to blood. And so this was a judgment on the, the Nile god. And um, there's even a little uh, play on words um, that, uh, anyway, uh, that Mos, it was their word for Nile water. And they had these different pharaohs named Thutmos and Atmos and so forth. And so Moses means drawn out of the water, um, but drawn out of the Nile River water. But it's it's one of these things where, you know, God took uh, Saul and turned him into Paul. Yes. And God took Abram and turned him into Abraham. And so uh, it's a changing of the name and the meaning of the name. So uh, first is the water to blood, and then the frogs that come out of the river. Uh, well, they, the Egyptians worshipped frogs, and then uh, the bugs that crawled over the the plagues um, that, uh, and then the judgment on the animals um, with um, the Mirin. the hail yep. and the pestilence and so forth, um, boils. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the hail and then locusts that ate up all the, the green leaves and then darkness. Um, now I'm not a, uh, archeologist, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, one of the things I read, uh, that, uh, in the, uh, Mediterranean, um, is an island called Santorini and it's all that's left of it is the rim of a volcano. So this was a volcanic island with it was like a mountain, but it was a, the mountain was a volcano. And in some time in distant past, it blew up, which would have sent a phenomenal tsunami all across the Mediterranean. Oh my. And, um, anyway, what's left is the rim. And so it's a tourist attraction. I've been there years ago and it's very high up and all the buildings are painted white with blue trim. It's, it's just absolutely charming. Um, but it's clearly a semicircle what's left of a volcano. Um, and Plato writes about Atlantis, this highly civilized civilization being destroyed with a tsunami and sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And, and it's, the records are sketchy, but um, they would write numbers in a different way. And if there's just a little bitty, um, Mark would have changed the, the numbering to possibly line up with Moses and the plagues. So there's the thought of ash would have turned the, the, the sky dark, right? Mm-hmm. You'd have um, hail, but it would be hail mixed with burning fire. Well, that would be something that would come out of a volcano. Oh my. And, um, and then you would have, so, so there's uh, one of those, Interesting, and, and I'm not dogmatic about it because, again, I'm not an archaeologist, but uh, quite a number of the, the features of these plagues could have been associated with a mega volcano. Uh, some even the thought that if there was some kind of a tsunami, um, it would have, what, pulled the water away, and then the water would have gone back the other way and yes. smashed down. Uh, so that's just um, speculation at this point, but... Uh, it's some, is, you know, uh, I'll leave that up to others to, to research more. But the last plague is the death of the firstborn. 
and this was uh, where the Egyptians, you know, uh, and especially the Pharaoh, the firstborn, was the one that carried on the name, and, and it was a very high, prestigious um, uh, child, the firstborn. So this was finally a judgment on the firstborn. And uh, God told the children of Israel to kill a lamb that had been in their house for three days, uh, had to be spotless, and they w- would uh, take. And so if it's in the house for three days, I mean, the little kids are going to get to know it. They're going to pet it. Yes. They're going to feed it. You know, uh, so it's not just you go out and buy it and kill it. It's like this is you get emotionally attached and, and then you would kill it and then put the blood of it over the doorpost of the house. Now, this would permanently um, uh, color your your front of your house. You're never going to get that stain out. Um, and so uh, the angel of death came, and it killed all the firstborn, but it skipped all the houses where there was blood over the door. And so the angel of death passed over. And that's where you get the word Passover. Yes. And uh, they had to eat the lamb standing. Uh, they had to eat all of it that night. They couldn't save any of it for later. Um, they couldn't uh, break any of the bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you go to the crucifixion of Jesus, was the Lamb of God, uh, they were crucifying him. And if they wanted to speed up somebody the dying at crucifixion, they'd break his legs. And so you're hanging from your arms and trying to get a breath of air and you can't push up with your legs anymore. You die really quick. But when they came to Jesus, they said he had already died. So they did not break any of his bones. And anyway, so, uh, so the children of Israel, uh, the very next morning they left, they took the bones of Joseph with them and they, uh, crossed the red sea. And, um, you know, Pharaoh comes after him with the, uh, the cavalry and the chariots, and then the water comes and destroys the, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Um, <clears throat> there's lots of debate over where they crossed, and uh, one is called the Reed Sea, which um, some think, but uh, I tend to maybe think there's another uh, spot, and that's on the Red Sea. And it, uh, if you look at a topographical map, it's like 3,000 feet deep, but then all of a sudden at one spot it gets up to uh, shallow to only like 100 or 60 feet deep, and it's wide for like a quarter of a mile, but then it goes back down. And so if there was a receding of the water, then they could have crossed on this land bridge um, and then gotten across. Supposedly there were monuments on either side for centuries to designate that. There's the thought of where did they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, and uh, the uh, some think it's the Sinai Peninsula, and there's more that are thinking, well, it's actually Arabia. Yes, yes. We've got about a minute left in this segment. We'll come to a place where we can do a pause if you'd be so kind. Sure. So, uh, so they come out, and for uh, for 400 years they don't have a king, and so Israel is literally the first instance of a nation with millions of people and no king. And it works because every single citizen is taught the law. It's like everybody downloads a behavioral app on their iPhone. And the Levites were the computer geeks that told you how to, <laughs> taught you how to do this line by line, precept by precept. 
And so everybody has a personal, uh, they get rights personally from God, and they're personally accountable to God. And they're personally responsible to help enforce the law. So if you hear somebody taking God's name in vain, it's your job to take that person to the elders of the city. And then when they throw the stones, you're the first one to throw the stone. I mean, it's like, so everybody gets freedoms, but everybody is, it's like everybody's deputized. Everybody helps enforce the law. And it was a a model that um, was an inspiration to the founders of America. Bill, we're going to summarize the things we just shared. You just shared about the, uh, basically the first Passover with Moses uh, and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. We're going to be summarizing that and then diving into the New Testament implications and applications dealing with uh, Pesach, uh, as the Jews say, we we call it uh, Passover. My listening friend, get ready, buckle up, because Bill Federer and I will be right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Welcome back, my friends. Kaz Taylor with co-host Bill Federer of the American Minute. He's a broadcaster, an author, a speaker, Bible historian. He's a teacher. He also does television, I believe. Bill, isn't the show named Faith in History that you do? Yes, yes, Faith in History. Very good. Well, my friends, also you can find out a lot of things about Bill Federer and about his books by going to a website that he's going to share with us right now. How can people find out more about the Bill Federer and maybe purchase maybe a few dozen of your books? (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. My website's AmericanMinute.com and uh, have a daily email that people can sign up for and then also uh, has links to my appearances on different TV shows, and so forth, AmericanMinute.com. Very good. Bill, I, I have to tell you um, that, that you, you are such a wealth of knowledge. Um, you could go on for centuries on a, a given topic because you are so steeped in understanding these things. God has blessed you mightily. And do you ever get a sense that maybe you were built for such a time as this, Bill, because uh, people are going to be needing to know this history because history is repeating itself even in this world right now? Have you ever had that thought, Bill Federer? Yes, yes. Well, I think everybody is chosen by God to be alive at this time. Yes. Uh, and he has a plan to use each person, and each person can reach others that nobody else can reach. Exactly. And um, But in the big picture, talking about Passover, is uh, God is a just God, and he cannot help it. Which What does just mean? That means he has to judge every sin. If he lets a sin slide, he's effectively giving consent to the sin. And if he gives consent to sin, he's no longer a just God. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so if there's a judge downtown, and he's letting all the criminals off the hook, he's going to get the reputation of being a corrupt judge. Yes. And, and so in law, silence equals consent. And there's the Old Testament where it says, if a father or a husband, you know, here's his wife or his daughter, make some vow and if he says, no, you're, you don't to fulfill it, then the woman's released from the vow. But if he is silent for one whole day, the vow stands. His silence is giving consent to that vow. Well, uh, also in weddings, where the pastor says, anybody against this wedding, speak now or forever hold your peace. If you're sitting there at the wedding, being silent, holding your peace, you're actually giving consent to the wedding. Oh, my. 
And so in law, silence equals consent. So if there are sins going on, and God is silent, and he is not judging them, his silence is effectively giving consent to the sin. And if God gives consent to sin, he is no longer a just God. And he's usurping his own own authority, isn't he? Yeah, he denies his own just nature. He denies himself. So to ask God to overlook a sin, you're asking him to deny himself. And he, he can't overlook his sin. He has to judge every sin. But he's a loving God in that he provided the lamb to take the judgment for the sin. So uh, there's the story of Abraham going to the top of Mount Moriah. And he uh, has his son Isaac. And the son Isaac says, Dad, we have the wood for the sacrifice. We have the coals for the sacrifice. But where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And it can be read two ways. God will have a ram up on top of the hill, or God will provide himself as Ooh, a sacrifice. Bill, that, say and, that again slowly. My friend, listen to what he's saying here. Listen to what he's saying here. God, it, it, God's very wise in the way he communicates, and sometimes he allows what we would call double entendre, but he does this on purpose. Uh, go ahead and explain that, my friend. Listen, pay close attention to what Bill is saying here. This is really the crux of the matter, or shall I say, the cross of the matter. Bill? Right. And so Abraham says God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's what he did, that God the Son, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became the sacrifice. You read the Gospels over and over again. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'll rise again. Um, you know, and the, the apostles, they couldn't comprehend what he's talking about. Yes. And, but it was God is just in that he judges every sin, but he's love in that he himself, Jesus, became the lamb to take the judgment for the sin. Yes. Right? And so, so that's why we, people say, I don't need Jesus. It's like, dude, don't you understand? God has to judge every sin you've ever done, because if he doesn't judge it, he's giving consent to it. And if he gives consent to sin, he's no longer a just God. He denies himself. He unthrones himself. And that was what um, uh, Lucifer did, right? So you um, read the book of Job, yes, and it starts off with Satan coming before God. And God says, hey, have you seen Job? He's it's kind of a really courtroom righteous. environment, isn't it, Bill? Kind yeah. of a courtroom and, environment. And we sort of focus on Job, but if you think of it, Satan says what? The reason Job is being so good is because you're playing favorites. Mm. You're, you've got a hedger on Job. You're blessing him extra special. In other words, you're not a fair God. You have favorites. You're a, you're a respecter of persons. You're an unjust God. You're not treating everybody fairly in the same. He's accusing, the word Satan means accuser. He's accusing God of being unjust. And so what does God do? He says, okay, I'm not going to play favorites with Job, you know. And uh, But this <laughs> is where we see that, uh, you know, here's uh, Lucifer. He's in heaven. He's a beautiful angel, and he's puffed up with pride. He wants to throw God out of heaven. Could you imagine somebody sowing discord and heaven gets a third of the angels to follow? My. And he, he's cast out. And then the devil, Satan, goes into the garden, and he uh, gets Adam and Eve to sin. And it's almost like he said, 
if I can get them to sin one time, God will have to judge them. Because if he doesn't judge him, his silence would be giving consent to their sin. If he gives consent to sin, he denies his very nature. He ungods himself. That's right, and it puts so, sa- Satan in the, that uh, that uh, envious position to be uh, like God. And, and, and in other words, uh, he knows that if God has to do that, that the whole ground rules change. <laughs> yeah, and so so Satan gets Adam need to sin. That was easy. Then he stands back and says, ha-ha, you got to judge him, otherwise you're not a just God. And so God sends a fireball of judgment, but then in steps the lamb and takes the hit. Uh-huh. And so this wow. is where it gets interesting. So uh, if have you ever sinned against anybody? You sort of don't want to be around the person you've sinned against, right? You're talking about somebody behind your back. Yes. You're lying, you're joking, you're making fun of them, and you look up, and there's that very person walking towards you. What's your response? Do you want to get up and go over to that person? Or like, oh, man, I feel embarrassed. I think yes. I'm going to slip out the back door. Uh-huh. Your own conscience is just like a magnet that flips around. It, in the, it wants to, your conscience wants you to repel. And so when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God still wanted to walk with them in the garden, but they wanted to repel and get away, right? When they brought the adulterous woman to Jesus and said, the law says the stoner. What did Jesus say? He that's mm, without sin cast, cast the first, the first stone. stone. And then Jesus drew it in the sand. What happened was in the presence of God, Jesus, they are made aware of their sin and their own conscience repels them and makes them want to get out of Jesus's presence. Oh my! And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid. And, and then they said, we blew it. We have to do something to make ourselves acceptable to God. They put on fig leaves. Yes. That was the beginning of false religions. Man Ooh. coming up with man's idea how to make man acceptable to God. Did the fig leaves make Adam and Eve acceptable to God? No. No. And then this little line, real short, it says, and God made Adam and Eve coats of skins. Question, how do you make a coat of skin? It's going to cost some some living being something, isn't it, Bill? Right. So some innocent animal has to die. Yes. And the thought is, well, let's walk through this. Do you think God went to the other side of the garden, killed an animal, and brought Adam and some nice tailored outfits? Or do you think maybe he killed the animal right in front of them? Mm. And they witnessed the first death ever. Oh, my, my. Like creation just happened. This is the first thing ever to die. And Adam and Eve are watching in dismay as this innocent animal goes through the pains of dying. Oh. And they're thinking to themselves, we're the ones that sin, and, but this and, innocent yes. animal is the one that's dying. Yes. And God wanted to make it really clear the animal was dying in their place. Oh, my. But right in front of them, he strips the skin off the animal and he puts it on their naked bodies. Oh, my. It still had a little blood on it, right? They were covered in the blood. And so for the rest of their lives, they're wearing the skin of that animal that they watched die in their place. My, my, my. They're never conscious of this. And whenever God sees Adam and Eve, he sees them clothed with the skin of the animal. The lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Uh, wow, that's remarkable. Bill, we've got a commercial break we have to go to, but uh, thank you. We spent the first hour setting the stage for what we're going to be talking about the second hour. We're going to take all these things that you've just heard, not only about the uh, early times of uh, Satan tempting uh, Eve and Adam and uh, and the things that were tied in there, but also the different kings and pharaohs 
through the time frames and also you know, Nimrod and things like that. We also come up with uh, Moses and the children of Israel and the first Passover and then setting the stage for the Passover lamb, Jesus, who was shed for us. So Bill spent an excellent amount of time setting the stage for this in the second half of Come Together San Diego. We're going to pay off these things because these have present-day implications that are going to boggle your mind when Bill Federer and I come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. KPRZ, San Marcos Poway, and K29CR Encinitas, FM 106.1, North County, AM 1210, San Diego, KPraise. Portions of the following program were pre-recorded. Come together, San Diego, with Kaz Taylor on KPraise. Welcome back, my friends. Come together, San Diego. Very special show talking about the season into which we find ourselves right now. It's called the month of Nisan, which is the first month in the Hebrew calendar. Within this month is a time frame called Pesach, or we would call it Passover. We've spent a little bit of time with the remarkable historian, the Bible historian, Bill Federer, giving us an overview of things that happened in Israel's past up until uh, the introduction of Jesus and he being the Passover lamb. And I want to allow Bill to continue this Topic, And then as we conclude this topic, we're going to spend the rest of the time sharing with you Bill's observation of how the things that happened in the past, not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, are relative to us right now. And when I say right now, I'm talking about right now. Bill Federer, continue your stories, would you please? Right, so Adam and Eve, they're wearing the coach's skin, and they tell their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain decides he wants to worship God. But he does an offshoot of the Church of the Fig Leaf. He starts the Church of the Fruits and the Nuts. Cain <laughs> is a religion of works, right? It takes a lot of work to plant the seeds, to hoe the seeds, to harvest the seeds. And Cain puts all of his works on the altar. Did Cain's works make him acceptable to God? No. Abel does the lamb thing. And it's this beautiful picture. God's on one side. We're on the other side. Our sins separate us from God. The magnets turn the wrong way. We're repelled from God. But then the lamb pays for the sin. And so then we can be re- reunited with God. And so Abraham offered lambs. Moses had every family in Israel kill a lamb, put the blood over the doorpost of the house, so the angel of death would pass over. Right? They had faith in not their own good works, but this blood of this innocent lamb is the one that is protecting them. And then the high priest, he... Uh, you have the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, um, and the high priest lays his hands on the head of the sacrifice and confesses the sins of the nation over the sacrifice, and then uh, brings the blood in, sprinkles it on the mercy seat. So you have the Ark of the Covenant, the yes. gold box inside the Ten Commandments, uh, then two angels on top, and then there's the lid, and the lid is called the mercy seat. Actually, it's the blood sprinkled on it that turns it from a judgment seat into a mercy seat. Say that again. That is profound. That's profound. Instead of a judgment seat, it becomes a mercy seat because of the... Wow. Because of the blood. Wow. So if the high priest approaches without the blood, he could get struck dead, and a few of them did, right? My. And uh, so the blood changes it from a judgment seat into a mercy seat. If you're approaching God with your own good works, good luck. 
you're going to be approaching the judgment seat of God. But if you're approaching with the blood of the Lamb, you're saying that all your sins have been judged and paid for. And uh, But finally, John the Baptist points at Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So God's on one side, we're on the other side. Our sin separates from God, and the Lamb pays for the sin. Oh, so I ask people, are you approaching God as Cain or as Abel? If you're still hoping you're good enough to go to heaven, you're approaching God as Cain. I hope I piled enough barley on the altar. You know, maybe a couple more handfuls will do it, right? Or are you approaching God as Abel? It's not me being good enough. It's this lamb that was good enough to take the judgment for all of my sins. Now, why did the lamb have to die? Again, God is a just God, and he cannot help it. It is his very nature. And that means he has to judge every sin. Um, but he's a loving God in that he provided the lamb to take the judgment for the sin. And so if you think of it as a scale, uh, it says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. And so Jesus experienced that day on the cross as if it was a thousand years. And if, uh, if you think of it as a scale, an eternal being who is innocent, suffering for a finite period of time. Finite means limited, right? The day on the cross, the three days there. Um, an eternal being who's innocent, suffering for a finite period of time, equals all the finite beings who are guilty, suffering for an eternal period of time. My. I'll say it one more time. An eternal being who's innocent, suffering for a finite period of time, is equal to all the finite beings who are guilty, suffering for an eternal period of time. That is so remarkable, infinity, Bill. That's remarkable. L- l- let me ask you, that, that is such a revelation. In, in, that infinity, you... infinity times finite equals finite times infinity. <laughs> <laughs> you spent some time dwelling on this, didn't you, Bill Federer? My, 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 my. So what does that uh, give us the summary on what the, all that means? Right. So, so Jesus literally experienced the equivalent of eternal damnation in all of our places. And he's the only one that could have done it because, right, you have God the Father, you have Jesus Right? And, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the eternal, innocent being that became the Lamb. And he took the judgment of a just God the Father upon himself on the cross. So that's why we approach God through the Lamb. Um, one time I was you know, preaching in Kansas, and the pastor said, it's, it's really flat out here. Uh, you can see forever, but there's nothing to see. Because <laughs> it's just cornfields as far as you can see in any direction. And the worst thing that can happen is a hailstorm. Yes. Right? And you can stand in the field and get hailed upon, or you can run in the barn. The hail comes, but it, it doesn't hit you. It hits the roof of the barn, and you can hear the tin, you know, that goes ding, 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 you know, the, the yes, hail. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus is our barn, and mm. we're in Christ. He took the judgment, the hailstorm upon himself, and so we're in him, and we don't, we're the, the, the angel of death passed over, right? So it passes, the judgment passes over us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed us from our transgressions. And uh, he's thrown all of our sins in the depths of the sea. So as long as you're approaching God based on you being good enough, you will always have this nagging thought in the back of your head, did I do enough? And your own conscience will tell you, no, no, you didn't do enough. And that very thought will cause you to hesitate coming into the presence of the Lord. 
the moment you believe that Jesus, the Passover lamb, that his sacrifice of his life did actually pay for all of your sins, the moment you really, really believe that, your magnet flips around and you're instantly, boom, snaps into the presence of the Lord, right? And you're one with him. And then an interesting thing happens. His magnetism overpowers you. Uh And then you're reaching out to a lost and dying world. And it's not you doing it. It's him reaching out through you. You're filled with his spirit. So Mm. it's like his magnetism is drawing people not to you, but through you to him. So it's the same works on the altar, right? Like instead of you doing the works thinking, oh, I want to earn a couple more brownie points with God. No, no, no. It's the same works, but it's him doing the works through Through you you. because you're already accepted by God. And it's him reaching out to the lost and dying world through you. My, my, my. Bill Federer, this is remarkable. And this really sets the stage nicely for what we're going to be talking about in the last portion of this come together. San Diego, which will end at the top of the hour. My listening friend, did you hear the things that uh, Bill uh, presented to you about uh, uh, Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, taking our place? Uh, Not only did he take our place to uh, give us salvation, but also he took our place to empower us to do the things that he did singularly, collectively, and here we are in a world that needs God's influence more than ever before, and you're going to see some remnants, or even more than remnants, revisitation of things, the evil that was answered in the Old Testament and in the uh, New Testament as well, facing us right now in this earth, in this time frame today, and God has equipped us, and Bill has set the stage nicely on some of the lessons we should have and are supposed to be learning about uh, the sacrificial lamb uh, in the days of uh, the, the Torah and the, that transitioning into the purpose behind that picture being Jesus himself, the sacrificial lamb. But what does that mean to us today as we face this Passover period of time and this world challenge as it faces us now? Bill Federer and I are going to talk about this in greater detail, and he's going to be sharing some things, because I, I know his depth here. He's going to be sharing some things with you that you probably have not heard before, and it's going to be a thrill to you because God has solutions even in the midst of the challenging things that you're seeing in today, in today's uh, government or misgovernment and in, in, in the plagues and situations that are happening in the earth today and some of the things that happened Today are ha- happened illustrations of those happened in Jesus' day, even in Moses' day. But good news is God has this. He's got the solution, and all we need to do is understand what our calling is and be obedient to him, and the world is going to turn God's way through our obedience. Bill Federer and I are going to talk about these things in the last portions of this Come Together broadcast when we come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Well, hello, my friends. Back again for... Come Together San Diego, my co-host for this entire two-hour period, Bill Federer, the American Minute, and he's a guy who knows history, he knows Bible history, but he also knows the creator of the universe who uh, is overseeing this history, Bill Federer. Hey, Bill, let's continue your discussion. We've we've taken the, the, the topic of the Passover 
the Passover lamb from Moses' day, and even before that, the need for a blood sacrifice with Adam and Eve and the slaughtering of an innocent animal brought it in, into the uh, the lamb whose blood was put on the doorpost and lintel of the door, and the angel of death passed over. And we brought it into uh, New Testament times with Jesus being that uh, the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And I want you to now, we've, we've kind of given people a broad brushstroke of the things that happened in the past so that we can be prepared for things that are happening in the now and into the future. And one of the things we said at the break, as you mentioned, the value of understanding God's seven feasts. And I'm going to hand the ball back to you. And by the end of this show, I would like our listening friends to have an understanding about, oh, that's kind of what's going on in the earth today. What have I learned and how can I apply this? Now, may I reintroduce you to a friend, Bill Federer. Bill, take it away. Well, thank you, Kaz. So Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was walking on the road to Emmaus, and he had the two disciples there. And it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he went through the scriptures that referred to himself. And so this is interesting. A prophecy uh, has to be not clear enough so the devil cannot figure him out and try to stop him, <laughs> but clear enough so that when Jesus fulfilled them, he could show, uh, going back to Moses and the prophets, that he was the promised Messiah. So let's look at uh, when the three wise men came to visit uh, Jesus, and then they stopped off at Herod's, uh, the king, and they said, we're here to worship the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, whoa, he turns to the scribes, he goes, where's this, where's this king supposed to be born? Uh, and the scribes say, Bethlehem. What was Herod's response? Hmm. Kill all yes. the babies in Bethlehem. Come on. So if the devil and Herod could figure out these prophecies, he would have killed, he would have tried to stop it every step along the way. So God had the prophecies be, it's sort of like those little things, those pictures that you look at it from one angle and you see one picture, and you look at it from another angle and you see another picture. From the, from the devil's point of view, he couldn't figure out the prophecies, and it was intentional that way so that he couldn't try to stop them. But from God's perspective, all of a sudden it's clear. You see the whole picture and that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So what were some of the promises? Well, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God said to the serpent, um, that the seed of the woman will crush mm. the serpent's head. Yes. And um, now the serpent doesn't know which seed of the woman it'll be. Is it uh, <laughs> Cain? Well, no, he can wrap Cain around his finger. Is it Abel? Well, hell, Cain kill Abel. I mean, he, he didn't know. And, um, and so uh, you look at the sacrifice. So originally, uh, God had the sacrifice, you know, killed the lamb, and accounted for Adam and Eve. Uh, but um, Abel, when he killed the lamb, it, it counted for Abel. It didn't count for his brother Cain, so the yes. sacrifice counted for a person. Um, but then we have Abraham, and he had a sacrifice, and it counted for his entire family and all the servants in the family. So he went from the person to a family. And then it goes to the nation, and the high priest mm. brings the sacrifice in for the whole nation. So we go from individual, family, nation, what's left? The world. Yes, nations so to nation, from a nation to the nations, plural. That's amazing, Bill. Yeah. And so um, there's this one brief period of time when the Romans took over uh, Israel and the Jews were not allowed to carry out the death sentence. 
And um, and so instead of being, being, oh, Jesus, you know, blasphemy and let's kill him, no, the Romans were occupying it and the Jews couldn't do it. So that meant that the high priest had to go to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to say, we want you to kill Jesus. And so what does that mean? That means the Jews and the Gentiles Conspired. together wow. participated in doing what? Sacrificing the Lamb of God to cover not just a person, Abel, not just a family, Abraham, not just a nation, Israel, but to cover the whole world. Wow, so We have the Jews together representing the, the, you know, the, the whole world, sacrificing the Lamb. And, and when Jesus said, it is finished, it was like the devil said, what, what's finished? Uh, we just killed him. All of a sudden, the devil realized that he had just had the Lamb of God sacrificed so that all the sins of the world can now be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Remarkable. You know, when you read through those, the uh, one place where, where Pilate is got Jesus there, and he goes, don't you want to talk to me? Don't, don't you realize I have the power to release you or let you go? Right? And, um, and you think, well, Jesus was the Son of God. He was so brilliant. He could... He could say one sentence, and it would silence all of his opponents. I'm convinced Jesus could have said a couple things and gotten off the hook. Yes. But he intentionally kept his mouth shut because he knew if he would have said something, he wouldn't have gotten killed, and he wouldn't have been the sacrifice. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, one of the things foreshadowing Jesus, there was seven major feasts in the Jewish calendar. Uh, You have the... uh, they're all harvest-related, and you have the first three, uh, which are Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and Feast of First Fruits. Fifty days later, Feast of Pentecost. And then at the end of the summer, you have the ending of the harvest, Feast of Trumpets. And then you have the uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes. So the seven major feasts. So Jesus was sacrificed as the Passover lamb on the exact day of Passover. Yes, yes, I mean, yes. It, you could have not... <laughs> this was uh, providentially divine, right? He was on the cross as the Passover lamb the same day. Now, the Jewish day begins in the evening and goes to the next evening. So the evening began with Jesus celebrating the Passover meal, but as soon as the sun went down and they were having the meal, now it's part of the next day. And so it was the next morning that he was you know, taken and put on the cross, and then it was the next afternoon that he died, and then they take him off the cross before the sunset. So he died on the exact day of Passover. And then the Jews had what's next is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leaven is symbolic of sin. Yes. It's yeast. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and so when the Jews would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would get all the yeast out of their houses, and they would break, bake this flat bread, and so they would get all the sin out. Well, Jesus took the sin out of the world. And then, two days after that, uh, is the Feast of First Fruits. And so the Jews, when the very first little sprouts would come up out of the ground, they would harvest them, put them in a basket, bring them to the temple, and wave them before the Lord. And, um, uh, and so they would dedicate this. And so Jesus was raised from the dead on the exact Feast of First Fruits. So he was the first one raised from the dead. And here's a couple of scriptures. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For even Christ, <clears throat> our Passover, 
is sacrificed for us. And then in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth mm, the whole lump? Yes, yes, remarkable. Therefore, bit. the old leaven, let us keep the, fe- the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then you have 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, But now Christ, risen from the dead, and become the first fruit of them that slept. But every man, in his own order, Christ the first fruits. afterwards they that come after Christ at, at his coming. And so we see that the, the, the exact day of Passover, Jesus was the Passover lamb. The exact day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus was taking the sin out of the world. The exact day, the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus is the first one risen from the dead. And then in the Jewish calendar, you have 50 days mm-hmm. of the plants growing. Yes. And then you would have the beginning of the harvest. And so this was the, days, the, the, the middle harvest, right? The harvest of the wheat. The earlier one was the harvest of the barley. And this is the harvest of the wheat. Right. And so the, um, the word penta means 50. Yes. So Pentecost means 50 days. And so 50 days after um, Jesus rose from the dead, the Feast of First Fruits, um, you have the apostles, and they're in the upper room, and the uh, Holy Spirit comes down, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says, all the people heard them speaking in their own language. And Elamites and Arabs and Parthians and Medes and Jews and people from all around the world were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Wow. And uh, 3,000 get saved. By the end of the week, it's 8,000. Wow, wow, wow. This is the beginning of the harvest. Yes, yes, yes. The harvest of souls. My friends, we've got about 30 seconds left in this segment. How do you want to close this? Because we're gearing up for some remarkable insights uh, as we close the show in the last two segments. How would you like to close this in the next 30 seconds or so, Bill? Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Um, Well, it's interesting when you study um, how the uh, Jews were uh, scattered all around the world with the, um, uh, you know, and then they, they, the Romans had built a road system around the world. There was a Greek common language around the world. And then all the Jews would go to Jerusalem for these feasts. And so at the end of that week of Pentecost, they went immediately back over the Roman road systems in the Greek language, and they were able to evangelize. If you were to set up the world for the rapid spread of a message, Instead of it being in the middle of a war, you would have Jesus come. No, the whole world had been pre-set up so that you could take, boom, on the day of Pentecost, all filled with the Holy Spirit, people from all around the world, they would immediately go back to all their four corners. It was just It's remarkable. But as we look at the calendar, Bill, we have to say God is revisiting all this whole process that you just explained in the first part of the show and revisiting this for us today. Bill Federer and I are going to talk about those things and what these things that Bill was so astute in sharing with you have to do with us today. And my friends, you are going to find out that it is remarkable and that God already gave us the workbook on what this is to look like. And the enemy is scratching his head, knowing something's coming. He doesn't know whether it's going to be a left hook or a right jab, but God knows. And we'll talk more about that when Bill Federer and I come right back. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it at 866-577-2473. 
You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. This is Rob Stark, pastor of Lampletter Revival Center. There's a time and a season we're entering right now where the new wine is being released and we all get to drink of it. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise. Welcome back, my friends. This two-hour broadcast of Come Together San Diego is going quickly, especially when you have a guy who knows so much about so much, but is humble as can be as well. So his name is Bill Federer, the American Minute guy, a historian, a prolific author, uh, a, a, just not only a, a historian, but a Bible historian, and a guy who loves people, the guy who loves his God, Bill Federer. Uh, I've been thrilled with the way that you've uh, set the stage for the last couple segments of Come Together San Diego because now people really get an understanding from a different perspective of the things that God set up uh, for these last days. And we're going to find out that he allowed these things to happen, as, as you talked about Jesus on Emmaus Road. Uh, the, he, he set these things up for Jesus to fulfill and all of a sudden, the scales fell from the disciples' eyes, the two that were walking on Emmaus Road. And the Bible says that Jesus left him quick, them quickly, and that meant that they were supposed to take what he did singularly and begin doing it collectively in the church environment. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here we are today, and Jesus says, I'm handing you the baton, church. I want you to deal with this. And we go, are you kidding me? Us? And Bill Federer smiles, and he goes, well, God has given us the lessons all the way through Scripture. <laughs> I bet it's exciting to you in one fashion, isn't it, Bill, the things that are going on in the world today and the fact that God has given you some of the keys to the solutions of these things and that God just may be stirring Bill Federer to say, now it's time for you to help allay the concerns that God's people have because you know God's solutions. You want to talk a little bit about that, Bill Federer? Yeah, yeah, well... um, I feel like I should finish the, uh, I mentioned seven feasts, yes. and we went through the first four. So we have Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, 50 days later, Feast of Pentecost, the beginning of the harvest. Then you have the long summer of harvesting, like maybe 2,000 years worth. <laughs> and then at the end is what? The Feast of Trumpets. Yes. And that is when they would signal the end of the harvesting season, and they would blow the trumpets, and they would leave the field. Uh, one would be, you know, the the the, the one who wasn't a, a believer will be left in the field, uh, and the other one will, will be taken and go to the temple and so forth. And um, so then you have uh, this Feast of Trumpets. In the Jewish calendar, next comes the uh, Day of Atonement the Yom Kippur. It's the most serious day in the Jewish calendar. That is the day when the high priest brings the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies. Um, if you, um, it, it's the judgment seat of Christ. Um, but if you look at the Jewish feast, uh, there's two goats. The high priest, again, lays his hands over the head of the, the goats confesses the sins of the nation over it, and one of the goats is led by the hand of a young man out into the wilderness and let go, never to be seen again, to symbolize that your sins have been taken away, mm. 
right? And the other goat is killed, and it's his blood that is brought in and put on the the um, the mercy seat. But again, this is when all the sins of Israel were forgiven for the the past year, and they get to start off their next year with a clean slate. Yes. Uh, but this is fulfillment uh, in Jesus, that he is the one who uh, is the, that uh, put his blood on the mercy seat. Yes. That paid for our sins. But it, but it and, didn't pay it yeah. for our sins just for one year, as the Jews have to deal with that. This is a one-time uh, uh, sacrifice for all. And so we, he doesn't have to be sacrificed every year like the Jews celebrate their Pesach every year. We celebrate the, the Passover lamb who gives us eternal life. Isn't that remarkable? Right. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about that, that, um, that Jesus was of the line of Melchizedek, who existed before the law was given. And so he was that perfect high priest. Um, and so he, once and for all, sacrificed his blood, and there's no more sacrificing that's going to be done. That was it. It totally paid for it all. And if you think of it, uh, you know, with God, um, time and eternity are uh, different. In other words, um, God created time, so he's outside of time. So he sees the sacrifice of Jesus as continual, as ever-present. And so whenever God sees you, he is always seeing Jesus having paid the price for all your sins. So we get to come into the presence of God the Father with as much uh, acceptance as Jesus himself coming into the presence of God the Father, because we're approaching God the Father in Jesus' name, it's yes, yes. covered with his blood, Remarkable. Right? clothed with his garments. And, um, and so the last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now that goes, and the ancient Jews would uh, live outside of their house for a week, and they would build these little shelters out of tree branches and so forth, and they would you know, be there as a family, and they would dwell together. Uh, but this is symbolic of us dwelling together with the Lord for eternity. And that it says in the book of Revelation that um, there will be no temple in the New Jerusalem because God will dwell with his people and the, and the, the people are his temple and he'll dwell and live in us. And, and, um, and then Jesus, uh, he rose from the dead and he has those nail prints in his hands and he will forever have the nail prints in it. He'll forever have that body. And so that's an encouragement to us that you're not just going to be some ethereal spirit floating around, uh, nirvana, whatever. Yes. No, you will have a resurrected body yes. the same way Jesus, he is the first one raised from the dead. And so there's that, that comfort there. And um, Yes, there is. But, uh, uh, so, so this is in, um, the big picture. Here's God. He exists for eternity. Uh, we have no concept of eternity upon eternity upon eternity upon eternity. God exists for eternity. He's all-powerful. It's not that he knows everything. It's impossible for him not to know everything. Yes. And he creates everything according to rules. Everything he created is operates according to laws. Uh, you have laws of gravity, laws of physics, laws of conservation of energy, laws of relativity, laws of radiation, laws of mathematics, laws of thermodynamics, laws of electromagnetism, laws of quantum mechanics, laws of chemistry, biology, 
everything is like he's a God of laws. And um, he has laws for human behavior. We just have the choice as to whether or not to follow his laws. Yes. Why is that important? Love. Um, God makes everything, everything obeys him. Uh, it, 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 at some point in eternity past, God said, you know, been there, done that. I can make things that obey me. I would really like someone in my image that could love me. And now it gets interesting because love, by definition, must be voluntary. Yes. The moment it, it's forced, it evaporates. So it's almost like God created this thing we call reality. He hides himself behind creation because if he ever revealed himself, he is so totally awesome that every atom in, in our body would immediately fall down and worship him. And he wouldn't know if they're worshiping him because he is totally awesome or because we made the willful choice to love him. That's true. It, it, I use a simplistic example, but you have a billionaire has a son who's going to college. And if he drives up with his Lamborghini, his Porsche, he's got gold rings on, the fanciest clothes, hairstyles, he's going to have every girl wanting to meet him. And But if he lays aside all of that and drives to campus in an old clunker, and he's got holes in his jeans, right? His hair is messy. He doesn't look that attractive. All the uppity girls are going to ignore him. But there's going to be some girl that likes studying with him in the library. Yes. They get to be friends. They have an ice cream cone together, right? And then finally they fall in love and get engaged. And then he says, hey, I want to bring you back and have you meet my dad. Oh, my. And they're driving up to this mansion castle, and this girl's like, whoa, you didn't <laughs> tell me about all this. Oh, my. That young man knows that the girl loves him, him for, for who him, he is. Not because of all of it. That's stuff. right. That's right. That's right. Bill, my friends, listen to what Bill has said here, because we need to remember this, especially in the challenging times. Uh, and Jesus will show himself, like uh, Bill uses the, the analogy, Jesus will show himself as he did uh, at the gravesite as either, you know, as a... Uh, as a worker, as a person who, a groundskeeper, or to the disciples when they're out fishing, he, he shows himself like a kind of as a fisherman or as a cook or something like that, but they recognize him because of his character. Here we are right now in these days right now, we need to recognize Jesus for who he is, and as we do that, the joys are going to be remarkable, but also the empowerment is going to be remarkable. We're going to talk about that empowerment for us today if we embrace the Jesus who was true yesterday and today and forever when Bill Federer and I conclude this broadcast and come right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K-Praise. Now back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise with Cass Taylor. Hello, my friends, and back again for the last segment of this two-hour broadcast of Come Together San Diego, dealing with the topic of Pesach, or Passover, and we've looked at it not only from the very origins uh, way back in Adam and Eve days, but we've looked at it from Moses' time frame and the Passover lamb bloodshed on the lentils and the doorpost uh, so that those who dwell therein, uh, the angel of death passes by. We've brought it into the New Testament uh, uh, 
time frame and seen how Jesus has become our Passover lamb and his blood is shed on our behalf so we can eternally live with him. I want to bring this back to the present day times and the anxieties that we're feeling right here. Bill had a a real wonderful progression of events into the different feasts and feast times, puts us into a time frame upcoming uh, in a few months called the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, which is the final, final harvest. Bill, uh, a lot of people feel that we are facing an opportunity for the greatest harvest of all times, and the same kind of things happened back in the days where the enemy comes in. The Bible says the enemy comes in, and like a flood, the Lord shall raise a standard against him. Well, the enemy's coming in like a flood in these days. But, Bill, as you've introduced the character of God in ways that our listeners maybe haven't heard before, as he did back in the days of Adam, as he did back in the days of Moses, as he did back in the days of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he's also got this. So, Bill, as you look back at all the history that you shared with us in this program, you know, coming back from Nimrod and, and, the, and the, the Tower of Babel and things like that, there's an implication of that kind of thing now that people are being asked to obey another god who is not the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're in a similar sense right now, and even plagues and things like that. Any overview thought here as we dig more deeply into this, Bill Federer? Yeah, um, God loves us. He wants us to love him back. Uh, He cannot force us to love him back because he would know that he's forcing us, and therefore he would know that our response is not a love response. And so he creates this um, thing we call reality where we really can't control much other than our will. Mm. And he has plan A and plan B. Plan A is he blesses us so much we surrender our lives to him and love him uh, by our own free will. But if we don't, he does have plan B. Plan A, plan B is he withholds the blessings. He lets things get tough so that we turn to God in our desperation. My, my. So the bad things aren't because he wants bad things. The bad things are he wants us to turn to him because he wants us to make a free will choice to turn to him. But he, he can't force us. You can bring the horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. Uh, and so, so that's where we're at. We're at plan B, right? Oh, well, okay. But, but let me ask you a question. That's very excellent. The plan A is to embrace God and let him intervene and be blessed like crazy. And the plan B is to have to go through this stuff so that you ultimately come to the right decision, hopefully. So we're somewhere between the plan A and the fulfillment of plan B. Is there any way that we can revert to the plan A part and and allow God to intervene even where we are in this world today. I think God wants to, it's his heart cry, for his kids to come to him. uh, And like Moses was given the letter of the law to lead us to the spirit of the law through Jesus, now now God is giving us, he's saying, here's what the letter of the law can get for you, and we're looking at the letter of the law right now in the government, in the the, uh, pestilences and the laws that aren't laws and the fake news and all this stuff. So we're getting to see what, if, if it's left over to to mankind, how they misapply God's precepts. And we have a choice as God's believers, and that is to say, we actually, you know, we repent, we choose you, intervene. Is is that still in the cards? Or, pardon the re- reference to cards, but is that still in, in, in as yeah, part well, of the equation? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
um, you know, we get through this problem, there'll be another one. We get through that problem, there'll be another <laughs> one. Um, so the, the goal is not so much getting through the problem to an answer. The goal is he wants to see how we respond in the crisis. Yes. Uh, I tell people, you know, God knew Abraham's heart, but he wanted to see Abraham take his son Isaac and to the top of Mount Moriah and be willing to kill him. Right, The son who he loves so much. Um, you know, it's like a man, he's watching a husband, he's watching TV and, you know, he's on the couch and you ask yes. him, hey, when was the last, when was the last time you told your wife you love her? Uh, I can't remember, but she knows my heart. Uh-huh, yes. Okay. Uh, when was the last thing you did anything to show your wife you love her? Uh, I can't remember, but she knows my heart. It's like, dude, we need to have a little talk. Uh, it's like, <laughs> God knows your heart. Yes, he does know your heart, but he wants to see some action. He wants to hear some words out of your mouth. He wants to see you respond. And the crises of the era is the opportunity for you to show your actions. It's like freshman chemistry class. You have a beaker with a solution, and you pour in a catalyst that causes a reaction. And some stuff precipitates, gets heavy, falls to the bottom, and other stuff gets effervescent and turns into bubbles and floats to the top. The era that we're living in is the solution. The crises of our era is the catalyst. My. And it's causing a reaction. And some people are dropping out, and they're running and hiding and surrendering their faith. And others, like the early church, what was their response when they were persecuted? Lord, grant us boldness. Yes. Right? They get effervescent, and they rise <laughs> to the top. And, and so God's interested in uh, seeing what you're doing. Uh, that you have this opportunity to respond. It's not, oh, I'm just going to sit back and wait, and soon Jesus is going to come. No, this is your opportunity to get out and do those things that you'll be known for forever. My listening friend, we are in the thick of things right now, and Bill is just exactly right on. This is not really a matter of the things that are happening to you, but the one who is indwelling you. So we we have uh, maybe... uh, two minutes left or so in this closing segment. Any great, wise parting words from Bill Federer? My friends, I I hope this is striking you because we are in right now a a season called uh, Pesach, the the Passover celebration where the lamb's blood was shed on our behalf. What are we going to do with it or what are we not going to do with it? We have the option to go with God now instead of being forced to uh, in a different way. Bill? You have about a minute and a half. So, um, so somebody will be dead. You'll be in heaven, and you'll be at Moses' place. Let's let's just imagine, and you meet you meet Moses, and you say, Moses, tell us the story again. The room will get quiet. He'll stand up, and he'll say, Well, I was eighty years old, and Pharaoh, the most powerful military leader, was charging in. We were unarmed, and everyone was scared. And I just held out my staff, and I said, God, use me to deliver your people. And the waves came in and swallowed up Pharaoh's chariots. Then we're going to look around the room and see David. Say, David, tell us your story. And he'll say, I was just a teenager, and this giant thug Goliath was mocking our God, and grown-ups are too chicken to do anything. And I said, enough (laughs) of that. I took my little sling and hit hit him in the head. Then we're going to see Gideon and Jephthah and all the great saints. And then finally, everyone in the room is going to look at you. Say, you, tell us your story. Come on, Bill. What was going on on earth when it was your turn to be down there? What were they saying about God, the baby in the womb, or the Ten Commandments, or marriage that God himself instituted in Genesis? What did you do when the whole world was against you and it looked hopeless? Right. But this is our turn. This is the time out of the 6,000 years of world history that's been recorded. God chose for you and I to be left right now. He's got a plan to use us. And this is our opportunity to show him how much we love him. So uh, we've got about 45 seconds or so for you to put a period at the end of your wonderful, slightly run on sentence. He said with a smile. 
Yeah. So, um, uh, so we repent of our sins and then we have courage and then we stand up and I believe he's letting it get to the place where you're going to have to make a public, Wow. you know, here's Peter and there's some little lady that's nagging him and like a gnat in his face. You were with Jesus. I saw you with him. I saw you. He's like, get out of here. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. <laughs> and yet Jesus knew that was Peter denying him. Yes. You know, sometimes it's those little things. And so God is looking for us to stand up for him, stand up for his definition of marriage, stand mm. up for the baby in the womb, stand up for, for godly values. And, and, but most of all, to reach out to those that are hurting, letting them know that God loves them, that he forgives them. And that he wants to, you know, the more you love someone, the more you want that someone to love you yes, back. Yes, yes, God yes. loves you infinitely. Yes. He has an infinite desire for you to love him back. Think of that. Yes. The God that created the universe has an infinite desire for you to love him, but he can't force you. Cause he yes, right. It has to be a free will And he would know that your response is no longer love. Yes. Bill Federer, thank you so much for <laughs> The time goes so fast, even though it was two hours that we spent together. My listening friend, I hope this has been an inspiration for you as we fully embrace the purpose behind Pesach, the, the Passover lamb uh, that was illustrated way back since in the very beginning of time until now. And as Bill Federer says, now it is our responsibility to carry the good news of the story of the Lord forward. My listening friend, I want to thank Bill uh, Federer and you for joining us on this version of Come Together San Diego. And Bill and Kaz wavingly said goodbye. And thank you so much, Bill Federer. God bless you guys. Thanks you. for joining Cast Hater and his many friends, including you, for Come Together San Diego. Join us again next week as we explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within this county and beyond on Come Together San Diego. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a co-worker, and then let's all come together San Diego next Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. on K-Praise.